0: Okay, let's look in our Bible in 1 Thessalonians 4, and we're not going to read the text yet. I just want to talk to you for a little bit before we read our text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in your Bible. All right, Yannick, are we set here? Why don't you just go ahead and help me? All right. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so what we'd like to do in the weeks ahead is I want to talk about five future events you should know. Um, a lot of times we pay attention to our calendars uh, and our own personal life. Um, you know, what's, what are you doing this summer? Right. What are you doing this year? Your, some of you planning your retirement. I talked to somebody, a church member, the other day. They're already figuring out, I'm going to retire in this many years, have my house paid off this many years. When I retire, first day after my retirement, i to go grab the alarm clock and throw it in the garbage. You know. And I'm only going to sleep when the sun's up, if that. Or I mean only going to sleep when, I'm going to only be awake when the sun's up, if that. So it was a funny conversation. So he's planning out some things. And, um, but you know, sometimes uh, we, get, we really get focused on our own life and our own plans. But it is important that we know what are God's plans, what are future events. And uh, to, to recount those. And, and I know a lot of the church, the core church, went through the book of Revelation together. We went on Sunday night through the book of Revelation. We covered some of those things. But this is more of kind of step back and look at a big picture. And um, there's not just five future events on God's prophetic calendar. There's more than that. But these are five standout things that, um, that a Christian and a person should know. And some people don't know or they have a skewed view right. of it. Uh, of each of these. So let's go ahead and go to this next slide, and I'll just quickly just talk through it, and then we're going to read our text for our first subject today. So if you want to go to the next one there, Yannick, my clicker's not working. So, um, so today, you, some of you have seen me illustrate stuff like this before, but um, so from left to right here in the, Bi- in the Bible, it tells us kind of many things that God plans to do in prophecy. And again, let me just stop again we need to think about what God's plans are. He tells us them. There's things He has planned that He doesn't tell us. But if He's told us some of His plans, then that means I ought to think about it. And not just think about my own. And these are long, some of them are far off. Some of, them are, some of them last for a short time. Some of them last for a long time, but they're His plans and He wants us to know about it. And they're intended to form our thinking of right now how we live. The next thing that I believe the Bible Scripture teaches that could happen any moment, and there's nothing preventing it, is a rapture. You don't have to have an Antichrist be revealed. You don't have to have good things happen on the earth or bad things happen on the earth. The fact is a rapture could happen at any time, and that's what we'll look at today. The next thing that's uh, around the same time is, well, you'll see right after that, is a, is the Bi- Bible calls the time of Jacob's trouble. It's a seven-year tribulation, and there's a, it's a very, it's, it's, it pertains a lot to Jewish people. In Israel, that's a tribulational time on the earth. That's the bulk of what you read in the book of Revelation from Revelation chapter, uh, well, it's it's primarily chapter 4 through 19, but even in, in the middle section, talks about worldwide tribulation. That's coming. And uh, we'd like to not, I'm not going to preach the whole book of Revelation, but I'd like to tell you a little bit about that, a worldwide tribulation. Um, the world will finally get the leader they like. There you go. They'll finally get it. And everybody will get on board, and then it's going to fall apart and get ugly. But then, but about during this time of the tribulation, in heaven, Christians will be facing the judgment seat of Christ. That is, um, it is an evaluation type. It's not a judgment like, you're in big trouble, pal. You're going to hell, or you're getting punished. It's not that kind of judgment. It's more of like the terms that are used in Scripture are in athletic terms, of getting a reward or not getting a reward. They're getting a big reward or a small reward. The judgment seat of Christ is taught in Scripture. And that this thing right here, the older I get, this motivates me so much. It helps me in my worst times. It helps me in my best times. I'm telling you, there's so much to this truth right here. If we really thought about what God says about this, that you are going to give an account, not to me and not to all your other earthly evaluators, but ultimately you're giving an account to Jesus Christ, your Savior, and He's going to see through that phony stuff that everybody else liked right. and not get you anything. Or he's going to see through the good things you did that nobody knew about. He's going to It's going to turn into gold. There's a judgment seat of Christ that Jesus sees the wood, hay, and the stubble. He sees the gold, silver, and precious stones. And he's going to sift through all that stuff. And he knows what's real. And he's going to reward you. It's both convicting and it's comforting. And so we're going to look at that on one of these Sundays, the judgment seat of Christ. Highly motivating for me as a believer. And then uh, Jesus is going to... his. His return and his reign, okay? He's going to actually return feet stepped on earth one day, and it's going to change everything. Um, And it's going to be a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. The earth will have a a transformation. That is, it'll be cleansed, and they'll have a certain transformation to it. And it'll be different, and it'll be glorious. And there'll be a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. Like to say a few things about that, and at the end of that is called the great, great white throne judgment. This is a moment for people, all people that have died that have died outside of Jesus Christ are going to stand before the Lord, and give an account of the things they've done. And uh, in the books will be open, and another book will be open called the book of life. And whoever's not found written in the book of life will be cast in the lake of fire. But this is a, this is a terrifying, incredibly terrifying event that God tells us about but we need to look at and sober up to we looked at it when, on our Sunday night when we went through the book of Revelation and we'll revisit it again and the Bible also tells us some other things that, of a new heaven and a new earth and but I, we may not get into that but I at least want to put it into the mind of our Sunday morning attendees these five things that it's this is this is God's business plans okay and so we need to know about them. So today, let's go look in First Thessalonians chapter three. Pardon me, chapter four. And um, we're going to look at uh, the rapture. That's an event that you should know, especially you as a Christian. And uh, so let's just read the scripture, and we'll take some time uh, talking about the the the, the word itself. Uh, a little sketch of what the other scriptures teach about rapture, and then this passage. What is the intended meaning and purpose of this passage? Ready? 1 Thessalonians four thirteen to 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter four thirteen to 18. He says, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is a fantastic passage, fantastic Bible truth that we need to live in light of. The rapture. My daughter, Johanna, we have nine children. We've been blessed with nine children. Very thankful. And our oldest, Johanna, I think she's about 25, 26 right now. Uh, when we were, years ago, when we were doing kind of a family Bible time in our house when we lived in Chandler, I uh, had a little Bible time in the evening, little family devotions and stuff, and I was trying to really get into it. You know, I had Michael and Johanna, they were real young. I don't know if Gideon may have been a baby at the time, or third. And so I had Michael and Joe, and, um, and I'm teaching them, and I had some Abeka Becca flashcards showing them pictures of stuff, and, and I, and I kind of ended it on talking about Jesus is coming back one day. Jesus is going to come back one day. And I said, and they're looking at me. I'm like, Jesus, can they, they knew Jesus. So we've been teaching them the gospel, teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection for their sins. And, but, and he rose to heaven. And, and I said, he's going to come back in the clouds one day. And they're looking at me I'm like, look, well, come on, let's go outside. And it was already, it was like, um, it was nighttime, but you could still see it. It was like a little bit of everything in the, in the sky. You could see a little bit of moon. You could see a little bit of stars. And there was actually a few clouds. And I came out there with Johanna in particular. And I said, Johanna, see, see the cloud? Jesus is going to come back in the sky one day. And she's like, yeah. She's getting all into it. And uh, she said, um, um, so w- when, we, when we went back inside, uh, we sat back down. And she goes, but, but she started thinking about this processing you know, Jesus come back with her. She says, well, well, we'll we won't have a house I said, no, we'll, we'll have a house, God, God, we'll live in God's house. Okay, you know, she's thinking on it, thinking on it, pondering. So we sat down and we all finished, we prayed together and finished kind of our family devotions and everything, and, and she was still pondering and thinking about all this stuff. And, and so we went into the bathroom and we got the kids ready, brushed t- Michael's teeth, brushed Johanna's teeth, and I'm brushing Johanna's teeth, and I remember brushing her teeth like this. And... Uh, and uh no, actually, I think at that time she was able to brush, but I was kind of helping her. she's brushing, and she's just brushing like this with her toothbrush, and she goes, she goes, uh, we won't have beds." I said what?" she goes, "We won't have our beds." She's with her mouth foaming in her toothbrush. We won't have our beds." I said, uh, you know God uh, God will give us everything we need, sweetheart." She's thinking about all this stuff and thinking and thinking, so Every now and then, and so she's like, all right, it's kind of processing. We won't have a house. We'll live in God's house. We won't have our beds. God will give us a bed. I mean, Jesus is coming back, and Jesus is coming in the sky. She's thinking, am I going to be okay? (laughs) What is this, you know? And so I'm trying to comfort her. It's going to be okay. He's got everything covered. And then next thing I know, so she's processing it in a positive way. Next thing I know, before they go to bed, every now and then, she's walking up to Michael, and she takes, she goes up to Michael, and she says, Michael, Jesus is coming in the sky, Michael's just the little guy, hmm, okay, you know. Michael, Jesus is coming in the sky. She even took him outside just like me. She copied me, <laughs> took him outside in the backyard. You see, Michael, Jesus is coming in the sky. <laughs> I thought that was so cute. I just remember that, that little moment when I first started teaching my kids, kind of how she processed it. And, and so, you know, we say, oh, that's so cute. But you know what? Is it really true? <laughs> a lot of cute things that aren't true. Is that really true or am I just like, oh, Oh, that's nice little thing to tell you kids. No, it's really true. It might be cute too, but it's really true. It is true. And so, let's look at a couple things. Uh, Word itself, rapture, because I know there's people, Pastor Henry, did you know there's not one place in the Bible that says rapture? It doesn't, it doesn't, it's a, it's a, it's a I think, a Latin word we use to describe the concept that is in the Bible. Let's look at the, 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 the Greek word that we read. Is, we read it in English, but the Greek word is harpazo. It means to seize, to snatch up. Let's look at your Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. We shall be, then we which are alive and remain shall be, be caught up. That, those three words are one word right there then we which are alive and remain shall be it says harpazo will be seized up together with the with the ones who just got immediately resurrected and with the lord in the air snatched right up and have you ever snatched up one of your kids you know i you know my wife we talked about going to the grand canyon before with our kids and i thought hmm if we went with susie she's on a leash and I really kept her close when we went with her as a little. And then my wife said the other day, she goes, what about if we go with Charity? She's definitely on a leash. <laughs> I mean, this little girl, as soon as I set her down, it, it, I, usually when I set her down out of the car in the parking lot, we're going to go to the grocery store, I say, hand, hand. And she goes like this, and she knows she needs to hold my hand. I'm telling you, man, it's, you've seen it here at church. As soon as I let go of her, she just has this little, like that, walk. She takes off really fast, and i got to snatch that girl up, you know. I'm going to seize her. I'm going to rapture her up, but back to daddy. So here's some Bible verses here that talk about the word, not the concept so much, not the doctrinal concept. But let's go through some of these verses here next, Yannick. Here's some scriptures that use this word right here. that Talk about the, or the, the, the it is the concept, but not so much the doctrine that we're talking about, but of a rapture. Uh, in Acts 8.39, you don't have to turn there, Philip was told to go meet this Ethiopian eunuch and he gave him the gospel in the desert and he baptized him. And once he baptized him, the Bible says of Philip, the, the evangelist, the Bible says the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. So that the eunuch saw him no more. I'm telling you, it's the, that caught away is the same word. The spirit of the Lord raptured Philip up so that the eunuch's like, where'd that guy go? He disappeared. The eunuch's like, where did he go? But he was happy because he's like, well, you know, I'm saved. And he went on his way rejoicing. He got raptured right there on an earthly sense. In the same book of Acts, Acts 23, 10, Paul was in this religious kind of dispute. He had the Jewish Pharisees and Jewish Sadducees, and they didn't like him, and And he said something that got them all angry. And pretty soon the Sadducees were pulling on him. The Pharisees were pulling on him. And and one of the chief captains says, he told soldiers, go down there and harpazo uh, uh, Paul. Go snatch him up. And the Bible says they went down there and they took him. The soldiers came to take Paul by force, to take him by force. In other words, Paul was in this... Thing, this crowd of these guys and that those guys, and they are they are fussing over Paul. And so the, the authority in the room <laughs> said, get the soldiers, and they went and they grabbed Paul and they snatched him out of there. It's the same word that we use, that Paul used to describe rapture. Snatch him up. Did you know that the ascension, remember Jesus? He died, he's buried, he rose 40 days later, he ascended. In the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 5, when it describes, it describes Jesus' ascension as the, he's the child of Mary who was, came and, and the child was caught up unto God, that same phrase. Jesus' ascension is described in terms of a rapture. Jesus was ascended up, up into heaven. And remember in the book of Acts when the apostles are watching in Acts 1 and the, Jesus ascends up into heaven? And they're like, oh, look at that. And the angels are like, you men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing? I wish I was there. I'm like, look at that. That's why. I've never seen that before. Anyways, I don't know if I'd really be that bold with angels, but that's in my text. I'm like, tell them. (laughs) I've never seen this. But the angel's like, why stand you here gazing? Jesus is rising up in heaven. Why stand you here gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus was taken from you is going to come back in in like manner. And the idea is that he is going to come back, but he's going to meet us in the clouds and snatch us up. The scripture teaches. There's like a magnet. I don't know if they still do this in some of these junkyards. You know, you got these big piles of junk and metal and everything else. and, And they want to sift through these junkyards, So they have these big old magnets. It's like a, you know, on a on a cable and it's grabbing stuff. I think it's charged and then it lets the discharges. I don't know how it works, but it can magnetize stuff and come over here and then release it, <laughs> it drops the magnetized genuine steel and it goes around and, you know, and it drops on it's a bunch of other junk, grabs a bunch of metal and it goes like this and drops it uh, by releasing the magnetism somehow. But, you know, it's not grabbing everything. There's plastic stuff, there's other, uh, other kind of uh, different type of other metal composites that aren't genuine steel. It's only grabbing the genuine steel that's made to be reconstituted again. Okay. And that's us. That's the rapture. There's a coming a day when Jesus is going to come upon the earth. He's not going to grab every religious person. Every person that calls himself a Christian or has a Bible or a King James Bible. He's not going to grab everyone like that in a church. He's going to grab the ones He knows are true. The Lord knoweth them that are His. And He's going to grab the ones that are truly born again and snatch them. This is going to happen quick, though. Snatch them up, and what's left is left. And He's going to take us to reconstitute us. He'll actually be reconstituted in the process. Reconstituted, that's a picture of the rapture. The Bible talks, we're going to t- just, let me give you a few. We're going to come right back and deal with this scripture right here, this passage. I want to say a few things ab- about the rapture. In other scriptures, we can go to that next, passage, that next screen here. I want to say a few things about the rapture in other scriptures, okay? Um, the Bible refers to this event in other scriptures. These aren't the only ones. There's some others. Jesus said in John 14, 1 to 4, learn to 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go, Jesus says, to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In my understanding of the Bible, that is the first time that the the doctrine of the rapture is referred to is right there. That's in my study of the Bible where Jesus says, I'm going and I'm coming back. He talked about coming back in Matthew 24 to rule and reign, but he never said it this way where I'm going to pull you back. And go to the place I've prepared. Jesus referred to it there in John chapter 14. You see, there's two things, there's two, we say Jesus is coming again. That's true. We need to understand it in two phases. This is the this is what the Bible teaches in two phases. Jesus himself, you can see it in Jesus' teaching. The the return of Jesus Christ or the second coming of Christ is in two phases. There's the rapture and there's the revelation. There's the, the rapture is where he comes to retrieve his saints. Seven years later, he comes back to reveal himself to the world. One's a retrieval, the other one's a re- revealing to the world. The rapture is where he comes for his saints, and the return is when he comes with his saints. We're going to come back with him from heaven, with him on earth. The Bible says the Lord cometh with ten thousands. That means groups of ten thousands of his saints. So there's two aspects of it. Coming for his saints, coming back down to earth with his saints. That's the second coming. Um, for us, we know and experience the first part first, the rapture. The Bible talks about it in other scriptures in 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 52. There's a lot we could preach there. I'll just highlight it. Paul says, uh, flesh and blood shall not inherit uh, the uh, Bible says corruption, that is our corrupt body, cannot just go right into the incorrupt heaven. We have to be changed, he says. And we will be in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. And for the trumpet shall sound and we all be, we're going to be changed. He says, you've got to, you know, some of you guys that worked in construction, I think Steve Devon had worked with one of these clean rooms or something at Intel. He couldn't just go do anything. He had to be in a certain suit to do that stuff. You don't just walk into a surgery room just as you are. You know, of course, if you're not a surgeon, that helps too. But you know, even the surgeon has to be prepped. We can't just, uh, God's going to change us. And that's what it refers to here in 1 Corinthians 15, 15 50 to 52, that you'll be changed to get, say, I want to go see Jesus. That's all right. If you die, your body will stay here and go see him in soul. But if you want to see him with your body, he's going mm, to change that thing and you'll be reconnected with that incorruptible body, and you'll be with him. You know, listen, the Bible says this, and this is a whole other thing. Did you know that this whole doctrine of a rapture of Jesus coming and snatching his people out of the earth and meeting them in the air and being with them, do you know that's a doctrine called a mystery? That is, nobody in the Old Testament knew that. Now, we look back and we see shadows of it with Enoch and with Noah and some other people, but nobody knew this. Paul says, I show you a mystery just like nobody knew the existence of the church. The Old Testament does not predict the existence of the church. When Jesus came, he basically said, "Okay, then this is this is the mystery. This is part of the mystery kingdom mysteries. He's going to start his church since Israel's rejected him. In the meantime, he's starting his church and the church was a mystery. That is, it wasn't a predicted thing in the Old Testament. So now we're in the church age, and just as the church age is a mystery, the church age is going to end in a mysterious time. Nobody knows when this thing's going to happen, this rapture's going to happen. Uh, it, as a thief in the night, nobody predicts when a thief in the, comes, it says in 1 Thessalonians 2. So this rapture is something that wasn't revealed until the New Testament. And when Jesus comes, and when it actually happens, we don't know when that's going to be. For us, on this part of the rapture, he says, "It's you know perfectly the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. That is, the thief doesn't... Hey, by the way, I just want to let you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to break into your house tonight, and I'm going to snatch up your stuff. No thief tells you that. Jesus is pictured as the thief in this case. It's not in a sinful way, but he's like, I'm, when you don't know, the world doesn't know, I'm going to snatch up my goods out of this world, and I'm not telling the world when I'm doing it, or the Christian. And so... It happens, it's also going to happen before Antichrist is revealed. And the Bible says that uh, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. If Jesus appeared in the sky, then we're going to instantly appear with him in the sky as well. So we're talking about the rapture here. You're like, Pastor, I haven't really thought about this stuff. This is just like overloading me with all these things. What is this? It's good. Maybe you should get into the Bible a little bit and start reading about this. I'm trying to give you the feel here so that Jesus could come back for the believers anytime, snatch us out of this world. And by the way, it is going to be a turning point in the world, in the mood of the world. It will be. In this passage right here, it talks about finally Antichrist gets revealed after that. And it's going to be like people are going to, I don't know how exactly, but what? No, these people are gone. And I don't know if they're going to say UFOs or I don't know if it's because, you know, I, I don't know. But it's going to be a turning point in the world and the world is going to greatly change for those next seven years. Just by having Christians out of the world would make it change. The Holy Spirit who dwells in us is taken out of the way. The world's going to be like, finally I can go do it. I want these people to saying something to me, you know. There will be preachers that come and God will... God will cause there to be some salvations and stuff, but it won't be like the church-type age. So here's a rapture. It's going to happen. Here's the deal, though. Look at verse 18. Here's where we want to focus the rest of our time. And I don't think we'll belabor it too long. Look at verse 18. Wherefore, what does he say? Comfort one another with these words. We're talking about a rapture. We're talking about God seizing, snatching us out of this world. And the way Paul describes it here in this text, he says, here's what you do with this scripture. Here's what you do with this truth. Comfort one another with these words. And go to the next slide here. The rapture is is a comforting truth. That's what Paul's basically saying. It's intended to comfort you. Some of us have ignored this thought. And maybe you need a little comfort by thinking about it. Some of us maybe deny it. Some of us take the idea of a rapture and you try to do other things with it, like try to predict it. That's not what God intended. Don't try to make a prediction of the rapture. The only thing I can say for sure is if somebody says they know for sure when Jesus is coming, then I know for sure they're wrong because he said no man knows. So, um, he, so some people take the truth and they do, but here's what are we? what's intended to be, what is the intended effect? What's the intended thing that we're supposed to do and be affected with? We're supposed to comfort one another and I'm supposed to be comforted by this thought of a rapture. Here's three ways it can comfort us. We'll look at these. These are the three points for the rest of our time. We can, number one, be comforted knowing our own resurrection. We can be comforted by this idea of a rapture knowing our own resurrection. Now, if you were to die right now, any of us die right now as in Christ, you die as a Christian, your body stays. You know, you, they, they bury the... The old house gets buried. The, the earth suit stays here. And then the soul goes to be with God. Absent from the body. Present with the Lord, Paul says. But you'll get a body again. You'll, but you'll have a soulless body with God until the time of the rapture comes. And then there's a, you rejoin with your body. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And the people that are still alive going, huh? They come up together. That's what it says in the text. To meet the Lord in the air. So you're going to get a new body one day, if you're a Christian, and it'll be incorruptible. There's comfort knowing that. I mean, again, you know, we, I was telling my kids the other day, I mean, we're thinking about all of our, you know, you get old and age, and you know, like I've said, you get Brother Brother Bob Devon, he told me a year ago, he's like, yeah, Pastor... By the way, he's getting getting over some sickness. But a couple of years ago, he had a procedure done. He goes, "Yeah, I had to have something removed on my skin." He goes, "You know, the ship gets barnacles on it. You got to scrape it off after a while." You know, and uh, <laughs> I was like, "All right, you know, you get that. You start. Why is this growing on me? What is this? How am I come, How come I got these wrinkles? You know, it's because we're we're in the Adamic bodies, our Adam bodies we inherited from Adam with the sin nature." But a resurrection will change that. The corruption will, will, will change to incorruption. And there's comfort in that. It says, if we believe, verse 14, that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. And it talks about those who are died are going to get resurrected. See, we get to be and have whatever Jesus did in that sense. Our life is Christ. Christ lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended. And we believe in him, we get that. We we die in him, we rise in him, we get to ascend in him. That is that is where's a new person that we are in spiritually when we believe in him. And then we get to ascend and have a new body one day because of him. There's comfort knowing our own resurrection. It just gets it gets kind of fatiguing when, you know, you're getting older and stuff like that. You like your body aches and oh, man, ugh, and that'll go away. You get a new body, you know? I'd tell my kids, I'm like, you guys, everybody smells. Everybody smells. Even people who don't think they smell, eventually they smell. And what's really, I started grossing my kids out. I'm like, think about every orifice in your body produces something stinky. Everything. I'm like, Dad, stop, stop. I'm just reminding you of your sinful nature. <laughs> okay. It's true. Every, the, we think, yes, I'm so, yeah. you think we're so good. we We're stink. We're dirty. We're all an unclean thing. We're just trying to put it, keep it back for a while until we really go to corruption. And then, even then, they empty your body out of stuff and put other stuff in it and put you in the ground until Jesus gives you something good. And that doesn't stink and won't age and you won't probably need any perfume or deodorant. But we're corruptible. We need to be resurrected and we need a new body, an incorruptible body. You know, the Bible says, you know, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when we shall see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to be like him in that sense. There's comfort knowing our own resurrection. Number two, there's comfort in our Christian reunion. There's comfort in our Christian reunion. That's what it's talking about here. He says, verse 13, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So the Thessalonians somehow were like, wait a minute. We're told by the apostles Jesus is going to come back anytime. But we have all these people that are Christian brothers and sisters and friends and family have died. What's going to happen to them? If he comes back, we're good. But what? They're like, No, they're going to get snatched up too and you're going to be united with them. We're going to have, look what it says in verse, um, the Lord himself shall, uh, 16, verse 16, the Lord shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now they, they're little low. They're going to go, point, they're going to rise first, okay? They got a little head start, kind of, or at least get even. Then we which are alive and remain, says, shall be caught up together with them, with them. Hey, this is fun! It's going to happen fast. To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So there's comfort knowing our Christian reunion. You'll be together again. Think about any departed Christian loved one. I don't just say any, de- we have loved ones that depart, but that doesn't mean they're saved. Right. And that's sad. But there's departed Christian loved ones. I mean, uh, Ms. Sarah telling us about a family she knew in California that became missionaries, and they, they couldn't have kids for, the couple was about my wife and I's age, they couldn't have kids for years, and so they adopted a couple kids, and then finally this lady gives birth, and she's pregnant after I think 14, 17 years of marriage. And she's pregnant and she gives birth and, and has a son. And then I think they have another one, I think, after that, another child biologically. And so they're all happy. And the, and the son was, uh, grew to be about, age, was it age 14 or so? He grew to be uh, age 14. And, and he had a couple older siblings and at least one younger or two younger. Okay. All right. And so in this family, this, the Holly family, they, they became missionaries. He went, How are we going to be missionaries? You know? They became missionaries to Nicaragua learned Spanish and everything, went down to Nicaragua, became uh, missionaries, I think, maybe seven years or so, established a work. Sarah actually went down and visited them one time, and um, they were there. And then av- after a while, they came back to the, came back from the field and lived in Oklahoma. And their son, their 14-year-old son, their first biological son, who they never expected, just died suddenly. They, don't, it's just some, they think it may have been a heart issue. Just There's no explanation. Just died. And uh, it was just crushing. For, I don't even know this family. I heard about it. Oh, man. Mm. And now, as some, assuming this boy had already made a profession of faith and everything in Christ. And, and so these parents are bereaving their, their son that's departed. They have two other kids that are, like I said, adopted and some other kids that are theirs. <coughs> but <coughs> think about the fact that, I mean, what can they say? We will see them again. Comfort one another with these words. There's different ways to comfort ourselves. You can tell yourself lies. You can tell yourself happy thoughts. You know, people always say, well, tell yourself the truth. And this is the truth. This is the truth. That if I have a Christian loved one, family, friend, brother in the Lord that dies and it grieves me, I need to grieve and I need to cry. It's necessary. It's part of being human. Weep, says. But also, how can I be comforted? I'll see him one day. I'll see her one day. The life that was cut off in my mind prematurely I'll see one day and it'll have a fullness of life in the next life. And together, even in Jesus' kingdom, oh, think about any departed loved one. You'll be together again one day with them, but in a better state. You won't get tired listening to them. You won't have to say, man, you got bad, I love you, but you got bad breath. No, it won't be a problem anymore. Yeah. Comfort one another with these words. There's going to be a Christian reunion, but it'll be better. You'll be in a better condition in every way. Number three, the last kind of point of comfort here that we can derive. Comfort in our own resurrection, comfort in our Christian reunion, and comfort in that we get to remain forever with the Lord. Number three, there's comfort that you get to remain with Christ forever. Look what it says there in verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So, I love this statement, so shall we ever be with the Lord. I love that. Oh, we're just going to be with Him forever. Just everything's going to be fine. In a sense, He's with us. I understand that through the Holy Spirit, He's with us. But His <clears throat> physical presence in all His glory, we're going to be caught up with Him, to be with Him forever. It's like, I don't care what happens after that. We're good. We're good. I mean, that's how I feel about it. Now, I know what I'm doing now is going to determine some of the jobs he's going to get me doing, but man, I'm just with him. We're good. Yay. That's comfort to me. I don't like who I'm always with now. You know, I don't like who my leaders are now. we got this guy. we got that woman that keeps nagging us on the TV. You know, we he's just... ah. But so shall we ever be with the Lord. I'm tired of the plagues we get. And I'm tired of the, little, uh, you know, the, the sicknesses and the goofy things. Ah, but I'm forever with the Lord. I love that. Comfort one another with these words. So we need to live in light of His coming. The Bible talks about Him. You know, they that love His appearing. You know, all them that love His appearing. I think there's a reward, if I remember right, those that love His appearing. Right? So we need to live in light of the coming of Jesus and the rapture. That if a person's not saved, they need to get saved right away because they could be deceived after the rapture by Antichrist. I was thinking of uh, this. Some of you have heard this. There was a song in our songbook. Maybe we'll sing it. Maybe we can sing it tonight or something. Philip Bliss wrote a song called Hold the Fort. Hold the Fort. And here's why he wrote it. This is like in the 1800s. He was at some Christian meeting. And there was a guy who was a Civil War veteran. Uh, this is in the 1800s, <clears throat> in the 18, 1870. There was a guy at, in a, uh, who was a Civil War veteran, I believe his Union guy, North, and he was telling this story to all these other Christians, of, and he used, this man used this story as an analogy of Jesus coming back. And he told the story of when he was serving with uh, General uh, William Sherman, who was a general one of the generals in the North, the Union. And he tells this story. On October 5th, 1864, this was down in Georgia, they had the Battle of Alatoona Pass. The Battle of Alatoona Pass, Georgia. This area would be, if you think of Georgia, Atlanta would be about 30 miles northwest of Atlanta. And so back in over 150 years ago, there was a battle there. The North had a fort. They're in the Southern Territory. They had a fort. And they were there with another leader, not General Sherman. Sherman was in the Atlanta area, southeast of them. But they're at this fort, and all of a sudden, these Union guys at their fort were began to be surrounded by the Confederate soldiers led by um, this other um, Major General Samuel French. They surrounded this fort. They were incredibly outnumbered, and as that was happening, General Sherman knew that they this was happening because he knew somehow that they got that this the the enemy Confederates were going to surround their vulnerable Union fort. So he went ahead and sent some signals, and this is they do this by. Uh, signal towers on the top of mountains through flags sent a signal before as they were getting surrounded he sent a signal and two of the signals the first signal was Sherman as so these guys are in the fort and they're like what's going on we're gonna, we're surrounded but one of their guys looked out and he could see the signal coming over the mountains the Kennesaw Mountains I think it is and it said the first message was Sherman is moving in force hold out In other words, here these guys are, surrounded, but they heard, oh, our guy's coming, our general's coming. So don't feel like just because you're outnumbered, it's over. He's moving, there's two messages he sent. Sherman is moving in force, hold out. And at some point, the attack began on this fort, and the Union guys are outnumbered. They're going, they're trying to attack back. And what sustained them in their attack back, not giving up, was they knew he's coming. We're not going to quit. He's coming. We're not going to quit on this thing. We're going to hold out. Another message came. The second of two, one of two messages. Second one came across the mountains again through the towers or through the signal towers. The second message says, General Sherman says, hold fast. We are coming. He said it again. Hold fast. And they did. They held fast. Like, we know our general's coming. Let's not give up. And they did. And he came and they overcame. And they didn't give up. What prevented them from giving up? They knew their guy was coming. They knew their better general and their better forces were coming. And in a way, that's exactly the type of thing we need to hear. By the way, and that guy, that Christian man who heard that story, in the, who told that story in the meeting, Philip Bliss, says, I got a song for that. Oh, my comrades, see the signal in the sky. And he says, you know, hold the fort for I am coming. Jesus signals still. Wave the answer back to heaven. By thy grace, we will. That's part of the song. And so, and so that's how I think it should be. It's like, you know what, <laughs> I see. You know, we're, we're like, we're become, my wife and I like, we feel like we really don't belong in this world anymore. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you feel surrounded sometimes. You are like, man, I'm in the minority and not in a, not in a racial sense, but in a <clears throat> value system sense. And in things you, that you know are right, you're like, man, I'm a, but Jesus is still saying, this, this passage says, stand. This passage says, be sober and hope to the end. And for us, we need to hold out, hold to our Christian that we know are truly Christian beliefs, not just religious beliefs. Hold on to the beliefs that Jesus has told us and laid out for us in the Bible. Hold them fast. He's coming. And and that I didn't relinquish them because of the pressure of the crowd around me, but I held fast to them because He's coming. He's either going to take me in death or he's going to take me in rapture. But I'll be with him. Hold, he says, for I'm coming. But that coming is only pleasant if a person knows the Lord Jesus Christ personally as their Savior. And they've come to a personal faith in Jesus, confessed him as their Savior, believed in their heart. Then you can definitely know this.